our passage of scriptures from 2 Samuel 24. As we read the scripture, notice the numbering of the people, that is the census. Then notice the details around the plague. And then the details around the altar. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go through all the cities of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and number the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my lord the king still see it. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. Then down to verse 9. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king in Israel. There are 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in the land? Now consider and decide what answer, and I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched forth out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aronah, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aronah the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Aronah looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And he went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground and said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aranah said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. 
All this, O king. And Arana said to the king, The Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Arana, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that has cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings so that the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. You have any idea what's going on here? Wish this was a class, I would let somebody explain to me what's happening here. This is over in David's reign several years. He's not to the end of it yet, but he's he's advanced along in time. And the scripture says again the Lord was angry with Israel. And he doesn't say exactly why, but there were a couple of things that come to mind. One is Israel had been involved in the most recent past in two rebellions against King David. One was David's own son Absalom, which we looked at a week or so ago. And then the other one was a man by the name of Sheba, who led a rebellion of the Benjaminites against uh, David. These were the remnants of Saul's people who were still trying to dethrone David and uh, put the lineage of Saul on the throne. They had rebelled against God's anointed. It's also very possible that sin had increased in the land. David had become lax in a lot of ways. It could be that the people were beginning to turn to the idols and had adopted the lifestyle and the ethics of the land in which they lived, the land of Canaan. And it could be just any number of things, but the Scripture says that the Lord was out to punish Israel. And the way He did it is He just incited in David something that David had. In David's heart was a desire apparently. It was a desire once he had, in the previous chapters, there's a a litany of all the nations that he has conquered. And it could be that David began to think, look how powerful I am. And inside his heart was a germ of ambition, a seed that began to grow. He began to reckon, I'm stronger than all the nations round about. And world conquest crossed his mind as it does the potentates through the years. Tiglath-Pileser, Pharaoh-Necho, Napoleon, Alexander the Great, Hitler, go down the list of men who have on their hearts world conquest to expand their dominion. And so he wanted to know the size of his fighting force. And he sent Joab, who was always his most faithful and trusted advisor, and Joab said, why do you want to do this? Aren't you content with the numbers? Look out over there. It's already a host nobody can number. Estimates were there were about six or seven million Israelites in the whole nation at that point. God had said, don't bother to count them. I'll tell you how many there are. It's going to be like the stars of the sky. It's going to be like the sands of the sea. You don't need to number them. Just take my word for it and enjoy the blessing. No, David wanted to know a count. And so he conducted a census. It could be that the Lord's anger was kindled against the people and against David even more because the way the census was taken. The Bible had specified 
that if they took a census, it was to be a matter of a life ransom as they counted a person, which in the ancient world, to get someone's name, to put someone on a list, was in a way to control them, to find out how many sheep and oxen they had, and to, and to get a survey was to get a tax base together. And it, God's people had been warned by Samuel, you remember we studied back in the fall, where he said, if you get a king, he will tax you. He will enroll you in a tax program and He will tax you with confiscatory taxes. He will also confiscate your servants and your land and press it into His service. A king will, if you have a king, Samuel told the people, he will conscript your sons into military service. This is precisely what David is doing. He is numbering the people for a census, for taxation, for confiscation, and for conscription. His heart had already become that of a man who was looking to earthly ambition beyond what God had wonderfully blessed him with. And so he sent Joab and the commanders, and as a loyal uh, man next to David, Joab did his job, but he kind of slow walked it. If you read the technical stuff, and if you read the account in Chronicles, which is a parallel account, you'll see that Joab went to the peripheral cities. He got a count. It was a good count, but it wasn't the best account. He took nine months and 20 days to do it. And he didn't even number the men of Benjamin at all. And he didn't count the Levites at all. But he still came back with a number of the fighting men. These were the men who were 20 years and older. And the Old Testament law had specified in the book of Exodus that if you took a toll, if you took a census, each man was to pay a half shekel as a life ransom. And there's no record that this particular law was carried out. Not only that, Deuteronomy had said if you conscript a man into the army, he has to come under purification rules. There were rules for men who were readying for military service. They had to keep themselves from women. They had to take certain kinds of baths. They had to do things that, of course, made for good morale, good order, and a good fighting force, and also made for total dedication. A soldier had to be ritually pure. It's, it's doubtful that they went to these steps to do things God's way. They didn't pay any more attention to the Old Testament law than you do. They just went ahead and did what they thought they needed to do. And these Old Testament laws had penalties. And the penalty for not following the purification rituals was a plague. And so the Lord gave, through the prophet Gad, the Lord said, punishment is coming. It seems like it arises pretty quickly in the text, verse 10, and David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people, and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. He said, I've done foolishly. By the way, this is regarded as David's great sin. Most of you think it was the sin with Bathsheba. And that was certainly a sin and it had its reckoning. But David's great sin was against God's people, against God's law, against God's way of operating. We don't want to think about it, but maybe David was getting a whole lot like King Saul at this point. But here's the difference. 
David knew his sin. He had studied the law of God. He had given himself to the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. We know the story of David. David was a worshiping man. He was humble before the Lord. And he was sensitive to the work of the Spirit of God in his life. And when he finally got the number and saw what had happened and what was going to to be the consequence of it, he realized his great sin. And he called upon the Lord for mercy. In fact, David felt like that the people should not even be punished. It should be his to bear. He was the one that had the guilt upon himself. But of course, the Lord was punishing the people for their sin. And David was going to be punished as well. But we see God's mercy already. He gave three proposals through the prophet for the punishment. Told him to choose one of them. He said, one, there'll be three years of famine will come into the land. We know what a three-year famine will do. We've seen it several times in the Old Testament. Or there'll be three months your foes will pursue you. David knew what it was like running from a foe, from Saul, for example, and others for years. Or there'll be three days of pestilence in the land. Now consider what you decide. Which one of those punishments would you have accepted? Let me tell you the one David chose. David said, whatever it is, I don't want to be pursued by my enemies. So he said, I definitely don't want door number two. Number one was the famine. Number three was the pestilence. And it was to be for three days. And the Lord then sent that upon him. And listen to how David describes that when he's speaking to Gad, who he's seeking advice, I'm sure, of the prophet, and he says, I am in great distress. Let us not fall into, let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercy is great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. There's the spiritual lesson right there. David knew his God, and he knew the Lord would be merciful in meeting out his portion of the punishment if he selected the option of being pursued by men for three months, he knew the mercilessness, the savagery, and all of the things that they would inflict upon him. And he would rather be in the hands of God for justice than in the hands of man because God always mingles absolute, pure, righteous justice with overflowing mercy. And this is exactly what happened. The Lord then sent the plague upon them, so the Lord sent the pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And literally, that's till the, the noon, I mean, till the evening meal. And there died from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. Subtract 70,000 from that total that they gave him a little earlier. That's the number of men. And that was in one day. And then it says, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working the destruction, it is enough, now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord, here's the death angel, probably the same angel that operated in Egypt on the firstborn of the Egyptians. 
God's envoy, the angel, had been very efficient in his work that day and had taken out 70,000 men. Think of that. There's a certain perfection in that number. That's the measure of God's justice. And God said, it's enough. It's enough. The backup prayed the prayer, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. And that's what we see here. God in His wrath didn't execute for two more days. The number might have been multiplicative or it might have been exponential. He might have taken out a hundred, a thousand a day the next day and a hundred and fifty the next day. Who knows? But God stopped and said it is enough. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. No matter where your sin has been, no matter how deep your guilt, there is mercy with the Lord. And David pleaded with God to spare the sheep. Having the heart of the shepherd all of his life, David wanted the sheep spared even though he himself knew that he was deserving of punishment. All sin deserves God's wrath. But let me say this. The text doesn't say that God just said, okay, that's enough and stopped. God still needed an atonement to be made. A propitiatory sacrifice still must be made. Sin will not go unpunished. And if it is to not to be punished in the people, it will be punished in the sacrificial animal. God demands atonement. He demands propitiation. He must be appeased. God's wrath is not easily blown off. That's the way people think of it. They say, oh, God's a merciful God. He'll let it go. He's a big God. He can, he can not worry about my sin. He can let it go. God won't let it go. Every sin must be atoned for. Every act of rebellion and every disobedience against God and His law and His Word has to be rectified. And so he calls for the building of an altar. Now, we're just about out of time, but let me describe very quickly what happened in the building of this altar. The death angel had come and had crossed through the city of David and was over where the remnants of the Jebusite stayed. And this man here, whose name in, in the other text is Ornah, uh, very likely was the prince or the remnant of the Jebusites whose land and whose uh, capital city there, David had uh, dispossessed them of that. But they still had uh, an inhabitants in the land. And this man there on the mountain, not far from the palace, not far from Zion, the tabernacle that was containing the tent, that was containing the altar of the Lord, there was this large threshing floor and this man owned the threshing floor, and David saw the angel of the Lord stop right there. He had worked his way across from Dan to Beersheba on the land, had come to Jerusalem, and was now up on the mountain, and he stopped. And David saw the angel, the death angel, suspended between heaven and earth, stopped at a particular place. So David negotiated with the man and the king, or the prince of the Jebusite says, here, you're the king, you're the sovereign, take it, take it. I, I, you can have it. In fact, I'll give you my oxen.
for the sacrifice and we'll take the plows and the implements of wood and we'll break those up and use it for the wood. And David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. And he paid the man for the threshing floor. And the Bible says he took that threshing floor and built an altar on it. Let me tell you something about that altar. This was on the top of the mount of Jerusalem. This was the place where Abraham had met Melchizedek. This is the place where Abraham had offered his son Isaac. Right here on this spot. Right on top of that mountain. Mount Moriah. And God had told His people when they were still in the desert, way back in the book of Exodus, He told them, He said, you move on into the land and there'll be a place where I will show you where I will be worshipped, where I will put my name. And that was the temple site. That was the place that eventually Solomon would build the temple. That's the place where Jesus would be tried before Herod and before Pilate. That's the place where Jesus would come as a little boy of 12 and teach. That's where He would be with His disciples. That's where Peter would preach at Pentecost is on that exact same spot. And let me point out just one more thing about that spot and I'm done. And it ought to just thrill your soul when you think about it. When the Lord told them that He wanted them to find the place that He wanted His name, He marked it with the death angel. That's the place where God says eternal death stops and eternal life begins. And listen to this passage out of Exodus chapter 20. An altar, this is the Lord speaking to His people. By the way, it's the same chapter as the Ten Commandments. As law, here's gospel. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I will cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. That's the Abrahamic covenant, the blessing. But notice what it said. It said, an altar of earth. Clay, not an altar of stones, an altar of clay. That's Adam. That's the clay of the earth. That's the incarnation. That's the humanity of Christ. It is on Christ, the altar of clay, that our sins are laid and are taken and are propitiated and destroyed, removed as far as the east is from the west upon Christ, the true altar of our forgiveness, of our sins. The Bible says over in the other parallel passage that God sent fire from heaven. Fire is a symbol of God's wrath. We saw that in the poetry last week. God's wrath was poured out upon that altar of clay, upon Christ's body in His incarnation as the new Adam. And in Him, and in Him alone, all the sins of the world of His people were brought together and atoned for. 